All right, guys, it's time for the next level guy show, a men's interview, interest and improvement focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. Today's guest is Dane Walker, who is the academic outlaw who runs Australia's fastest growing branding agency, Rebel. He's a designer who got tired of seeing business owners struggling to nail their business and personal branding, so he decided to do something about it. Enter Dane and his agency, Rebel, a bunch of branding mavericks, hell-bent on dominating branding for their clients stretched across the globe. He's focused on innovation, branding, marketing, and being as disruptive as possible through his educational content. His agency offer workshops, event speaking, courses, podcasts, and so much more. His heart is in giving as many business owners as possible that have moment that they need to break through beyond their fears, dominate their competition, and step into our world of success. And in this interview, we discuss how to diagnose, demystify, and disrupt your market, how to find your creativity, and how to build a successful brand. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure to feature you. Your social media is helping me so much, but it's making me realize just how little I know. But before we get into it, how would you describe who you are and what you do? Great question. Um, me, I, I would say um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a hardcore introvert in many ways, but I'm also equally extroverted. I just need time to recharge. Um, I, I would say I'm pretty cheesy by nature. I, I love corny, weird, goofy stuff. Um, I can be quite provocative, intense. Um, people have called me a bull in a china shop as a character. And um, as, as a profession, I'm a brand strategist. So what I do is I help people with their companies, uh, whether they're starting a company and um, trying to name it, create a logo, a message system, a visual identity, a logo, uh, grow their social media, build a website. Um, we, we take companies from their foundation and con concepts through to um, launching them into the market. Then also companies that already exist, um, typically SMEs, um, we, we help them either reinvent themselves, reinvigorate their visuals, or um, completely overhaul what they're doing and, and um, give it some new life. And that can be everything from a logo update to repackaging their products to rebuilding their website. Um, yeah, we essentially take brands and, and um, we try to help them evolve and, and adapt better to their market. And the reason a company would rebrand is if they are getting out of date, they've changed their offering, uh, they've switched market demographics, you know, brand, branding is really all about communication and, and knowing exactly how to approach it. 
And um, we typically work with companies that have, you know, 15 to 30 employees and they're, they're looking to, you know, increase revenue or increase clarity or just have a better offering. Um, so that's all underneath the banner of Rival, which is my agency. And uh, we have going on to 22 employees and day to day, my role here is really uh, consulting with clients, identifying their problems, uh, managing and running their workshops, engineering their brand strategy, and then briefing my my copywriters, my designers, my web developers on how to execute and how to hit the goals of the client. And um, yeah, that's what I've been doing for the last three years. It's a pleasure to have you on because I, I looked at my branding and I thought, oh, it's just updating the logo, putting some better colors on, you know, maybe putting a bit more uniformity through my social media. That was it. But I quickly realized how badly wrong I was. But you've had, um, you've mentioned and um, been very open about your upbringing. Um, you know, you, you said about your mom who was struggling with addiction, you had to stay in foster care, etc. Do you find that you've come to terms with that now? You know, because you've talked about changing schools, etc. So you had to spend a lot of time on your own using your imagination and through expressing yourself through art. I, I mean, I was bullied when I was younger, but I almost look at it as a sort of foundational when I was younger. Do you do mm. the same now? Or is it still difficult? You know, are you still looking for ways to come to terms with that time? How do you think that shaped you and defined you in the, into the man you are now? Yeah, great question, man. So like, yeah, my mother was um, uh, addicted to alcoholism and uh, dosing with morphine, which is the equivalent of, you know, taking pretty, pretty heavy drugs. It's, it's somewhat of a sedative. So, you know, for many of my years as a young child, she was not really coherent, not really present, not really engaged as a parent. So at, at a young age from honestly, the age four onwards, I, I had to learn how to be uh, able to, to manage and regulate and care for myself. And I think like looking back on it, it's certainly been much more of a gift than a hindrance. I think in my teenage years, uh, it felt like a hindrance because it, it, um, it didn't allow me to go through the stages of what a child should go through in order to feel safe and to feel um, cherished and then moving into, you know, exploring when you're in your teenage years, I just felt like there was constant drama. And, and, and uh, when I was a teenager, maybe very angry and, and resentful and, and um, just not really a happy person all around. And when I was 17, I kind of went on a, a journey of, you know, pouring through uh, psychology books and, one thing I ran into was Tony Robbins talked about his relationship with his mother and how she was quite abusive and, and abusive physically and, and, and a number of other things. And he was able to understand his mother through understanding psychology. Like, you know, why did she do these things? Well, she had trauma. She was going through this. So the more I, and again, I'm not a psychologist. I don't claim to be an expert at this by any means, but I, I understand enough of it to understand why my mother did what she did. And when I came to terms with kind of knowing her perspective and knowing the reasons why she was doing what she was doing, um, it allowed me to, you know, really forgive her and just see things from her perspective. As a man, the way it shaped me is it's allowed me to be extremely resilient in, in very confronting, difficult situations. So, 
you know, when people are stressed out, concerned, overwhelmed, I seem to be able to find calm in those situations. And um, I've got a great sense of picking up someone's energy, their vibe, you know, uh, I can tell when someone's being honest or they're lying to me. I'm, I'm just way more sensi- sensitive to um, how people communicate <clears throat> because when you're a young child and you're in these environments where there's violent people around you, you never know what quite to expect of them that particular moment, that particular day, you become very sensitive to um, what mood they're in. Uh, you pay attention to their body language, their tonality, their expressions, and you can you can just gauge people much more. So I think from a very young age, I was very sensitive to communicating with me. That's that's given me a great ability during a workshop with a client to read someone like a book, to read their body language, read the tonality, know if they're telling the truth or if it's from a place of passion or they're just saying it because it sounds good. Because a lot of what I do is is really try to unpack what someone's objective is in, in all its truest form and then evolve that into strategy and then evolve that into brand identity. So for me, I think, yeah, man, it's been, it's been a gift. It's been a superpower and, and it's allowed me to be extremely grateful um, for uh, what it's given me in a sense of how strong and tough and strong willed I've become as an individual. Cause I lived at a home independently with a full-time job when I was 16 you know, I went to 30 different schools. Um, I was constantly moving, changing environments, changing situations. So I got comfortable with change, you know, rather than being afraid of change, I, I'm, I'm like comfortable with it. It's almost like my baseline to constantly change, to constantly evolve, to constantly be hyper aware of things. And and yeah, regarding the industry I'm now in, it's it's given me this great ability to uh, to communicate with people, to connect with people, to understand them on a very deep level, very quickly, and strategically how how to help them maneuver the world of business and the world of branding. Um, so yeah, I would say you know depends how you look at it, right? Some people could look at that as a, a terrible childhood, and others can look at it as uh, a set of gifts that that I was able to get at a young age. I mean, that's fabulous to hear in the sense that you've come to terms with it. I mean, I think I struggled for years. You know, I kind of it almost shaped my personality. I mean, I was just really badly bullied. I mean, I, you know, and I had to go like a, a, a structured sort of family life at the time, but I think I let it become something I held on to. Like I made it my story and my own sort of personal brand for a while. And I think that you being sort of open and honest about that in your sort of podcasts, your social media, etc., you've really helped so many people. You know, you've given them that inspiration that there is the possibility of change. It doesn't matter your starting point; you could use that to turn it into a you know a great future for people. And it's an amazing message that you're giving hope to so many people in similar situations. And that's mm. what I really like about you is that you're so open about things. You're so detailed. You're fad. You're engaging and you inspire others you know and it's i think that's the great thing it's you're showing people that there is a better future that how you can turn your your pain into fuel like motivational fuel for for change yeah. and movement. and um and the fact that you can be so open and honest about it it's it shows the kind of man you are you know your character but here's probably the most boring question for you 
why is branding important? Why should we care about branding? How how do they shape us? How we purchase, what we see, what we value, the emotions we create. Why why should we be paying attention to it for in terms of our personal branding, the branding of the websites and the products we buy? You know, why is branding a superpower? Do you think? Yeah, great, um, great question. And and I think <clears throat> for personal branding and for company branding. They're slightly different games. Um, they overlap in many ways, but they also have their own their own dichotomy, dichotomies, their own um, subgenres of things that need to be thought about. But I guess with a company and its branding, what branding really is for me is it's 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 uh, the ability to communicate effectively. Because if you're a company and you think you're something. That's one thing. But then if you ask the world, what do you think this company is? If their answer is different to what you think you are, then you have a branding problem. So for example, um, my agency, it's, if you go to the website, it's, it's kind of rough, it's rugged, it's textured, it's rebellious, it's bold, it's sarcastic. It's, it's kind of wild and loose. And I think, um, if you ask someone what they think of my brand, that they'll they'll describe that back to you. Oh, this looks kind of like funny, wild, loose, disruptive, rebellious as a brand. Um, so that means I'm in harmony. What I think my company is and what the public think my company is, even in the first 15 seconds of browsing my website, is the same thing. And that's communication. That's effective communication. And if you think about like, have you ever been in a situation where you're with your spouse or a friend and you're explaining something and they take you the wrong way? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, you're, you're like, you don't, you, you're not listening. You don't understand what I'm trying to say. And then they just continue to take you the wrong way. And it's, that's, that's a breakdown of communication. You have an idea in your head as to what you're trying to communicate. Then you're translating that into words, sending those words into their ears. Then they have to decipher those words and, and extrapolate meaning from it. The same thing's happening with a brand. You're like, okay, this is what the company is and what we do. Um, let's, Let's translate that concept into colors, fonts, logo, photography, content. You're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to signal a concept um, so that when it lands in someone's ears or eyes or, or heart, they go, oh, that's what this brand is all about. And for me, it's about how do we bring alignment between the company and its, and its desired target audience so that there's harmony, they, they understand each other. And if you look at the likes of, you know, Harley Davidson, well, what is Harley Davidson? It's about liberty, rebelliousness, freedom, individuality. And um, that's what they are. And that's how they communicate through their website, through their content, through their marketing. And the audience understands, well, yeah, Harley Davidson is rebellious. It is masculine. It is um, about liberty and freedom. It's understood. Both sides of the party understand each other. If you have a company and you don't seem to be clearly communicating whatever the concept of your business product service, whatever it is, um, that, that, then that's a lack of, that's a lack of branding. Um, with personal branding, <clears throat> an example about personal branding, it's, you know, I, I had a job previous to running this agency and I was selling phones in a, in a retail outlet. And, um, you know, prior to that I'd run businesses, I'd been a sales manager, 
I'd started companies that failed and so on. And these are all things that I've done. I've read books. I was personally developing myself for years with audio tapes and books. Like this is who I am. But at work, you know, because you're not spending quality time with people, um, they assume who you are. And in my colleagues' eyes, I was the guy who went to the gym every day, who was broke all the time, had a girlfriend and ate a whole chicken with broccoli at lunch. Like in, in their head, that's who I was. I cracked jokes between uh, customers and that's about it. That's all, they, that's all the information they had about me. But that wasn't my brand, if that makes sense. So what happened was in that workplace, when I started posting content on social media about mindset, branding, marketing, sales, um, that they didn't know what to make of it. I remember going to work and one of the girls came up to me and she said, what's the deal with your Instagram? Condescendingly. And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, I don't understand what it's all about. Like, what's the deal? And I said, well, I'm, I'm just teaching branding and marketing. It's just stuff I'm passionate about. And she just said, okay. And just kind of walked off and it was just a weird exchange. <laughs> uh, and then I remember that same week I went out the back of the workplace and um, one of the other women that worked out the back in the office was communicating with one of my managers. And she said, oh, he thinks he's some type of guru or something. And they realized I'd walked into the room, change the topic to disguise that they weren't talking about me. So I remember hearing these two conversations like closely together and thinking to myself like, oh, these people don't understand me. I wasn't hurt. I wasn't offended. I was like, ah, they just simply don't know what I am, who I am, what I'm all about. And that's cool. That's their perspective. So in their head, they'd made their mind up. I was just some guy that worked there. Whereas in reality, I was someone that was quite different. So on the other side of things, on my social media page, when I was posting this content, people would DM me saying, Dane, you're you're helping me. Your advice is fantastic. You're, you're an expert. This has been tremendously valuable to me to learn about this stuff. Thank you so much. Um, I'm featuring you on my stories. They ask me questions. We have conversations. So on social media, these complete strangers had this different perspective in their head as to what I was. And to them, I was an expert, right? But at work, I was just some guy. So as a personal brand, People at work didn't understand me the way I wanted to be understood. The people online who were experiencing my content did. And the interesting thing is the people at work didn't want to adopt that new version of me. They, they just wanted to stick with what they already knew. So in that sense, that was my brand identity. Two different environments, two different understandings, two different sets of communication, uh, one which was serving me, one which wasn't really. Um, so... Yeah, if, if you feel like people don't get you, they don't understand you, it's just a lack of communication. And I realized, well, in the workplace, I'm not really communicating anything that I do on my social media. So they're two different versions of me. And um, whether you're a company or your personal brand or a mix of both, um, branding at the end of the day, it's just it's just effectively communicating what you are in a way that you, you wish to be understood. It's, uh, I mean, I find that really interesting because that's currently what I'm going through just now. I mean, I work full-time and do the podcast, and I yeah. definitely have some colleagues who tell you I run a podcast. Some <laughs> tell you I do interviews. Others wouldn't have a clue, and there's yeah. two different versions, and I think people want to hold the version that they're comfortable of you with. They don't yeah. want to change or adopt, so they see you in a particular way, and 
I mean, I used to think I was good at telling stories until I think I said it to my mom one day and she said, no, you're not. And that really hit home because you create this image of yourself that you're giving out to the world. And suddenly you're like, when others break it down, it really cuts deep. You know, I mean, it's was this what created your kind of interest in human psychology? Because you've got a great history. You know, you were selling gym memberships to carpet cleaners. You know, you were doing T-shirts. You had this wide range of interactions and product types. What did you find when you saw what people interacted with, how they, you know, what they were drawn by, how they kind of, were, you know, sort of, um, how you created a reaction, probably is the best way of putting it, in them? Did you find something that surprised you? Or, you know, what, what really stands out when you think about how psychology affects what we do? Yeah, I think at the core, you know, human beings, we're, we're all made of the same stuff, right? So we all get angry, we all get happy, we all like to laugh, we all love family, you know, we, we, we share much more in common as humans than, 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 than we're different, right? Um, we all hold grudges, we, you know, we, we all have these similar emotional traits. And for me, again, I'm not by any means a psychologist, nor, nor do I proclaim to be an expert at it, but I think regarding like all my jobs, whether I was selling t-shirts, vacuums, managing sales teams, leading people, you know, donating my time to, to charities and community events and stuff like that. I think like all human beings want to belong. We all want to feel like we're part of something. And what, what I've always tried to do when I'm leading a team or when I'm talking to a client one-on-one or when I'm hanging out with a friend is I, I really just try to be present and I really try to have that person feel like they belong and this is a safe place for them to connect. And I think if you're in a genuine place where you're not trying to get something from people, but rather you're appreciating who they are, um, they just open up to you. They, they just get more comfortable. They let the guard down and then you can kind of get into the real stuff. You know, it, it's like when you meet someone for the first time, there's always that standoff, like, can I trust this person? What's their deal? And you're always processing what information you have, right? So if you meet someone, you'll, I think studies have shown that within zero, within 0.4 seconds, you judge them based on their, um, their facial expressions based on how they do their hair, based on how they groom themselves, what they're wearing, what shoes they have on, what kind of watch they have, what car they drive, how they speak. Are they loud? Are they quiet? Um, if someone's loud, we make the assumption that they're confident. If they're quiet, we make the assumption that they're meek and maybe sensitive. You know, um, If they speak fast, we're like, this person is energetic. If they speak slow, we might see them as lazy. So these are all signals and I think you know, whether someone's looking to belong or they're sending these signals out to you, um, whether it's in the world of branding or relationships or socializing, um, it, it's about being keenly aware of someone's, um, someone's communication and what they're trying to say to the world and then how they want to be treated. Um, yeah, I think that fascinates me how, how someone communicates, uh, what they think they want from you and vice versa, that the whole, the whole component of body language, communication, tonality, um, emotions, um, expression. I, I, I find all this stuff quite interesting. And I think 
you know, that's why I've been able to be so successful in managing teams, leading people, selling products and services to clients, building a company. Um, I find it more rare that people find this stuff interesting than, than I do find it common. Because it's there's so many rabbit holes I'm trying to avoid going down. Because I I found your interest in psychology and how you utilized it and how you dealt with your clients and how you got such good results. And you know I'm trying to say like no no stick to this stick to that. But <laughs> I I love how like on your website it's you know you're on about diagnosing, demystifying, and disrupting. You know you you have these like little tip bits throughout your social media that could change a brand for the better. You know, and it's mm. all this amazing content you've got there. So if we start with diagnose, you said that it all starts with diagnosing why your brand exists, what makes you different, why should people even care? Mm. I remember thinking like, no, no, you. I was told you just pick your who you want to appeal to and you put your content out there. And nobody ever really said how you found them, how you have to package it. You know, you can put great content out, but if it's boring, which mine currently is, you know, I don't market it very well. I don't put it on social media in a fun and engaging way. And I'm struggling to build a community. And when when you said that about what, you know, why do you exist? What, how are you different? I was thinking, I have great guests. I have, I thought, great interviews. And, you know, as I started looking into it, I was like, oh, my, I don't really know. How would you start taking, like, a podcast or a, a business in that sense and diagnosing who we are, what makes us different, etc. How do we start that chain of reaction? Yeah, that's a good point. I think, you know, in all honesty, because I've worked with over 400 different brands and, and personal brands and, and um, the same the same things repeat, right? The same kind of you start to see patterns. When you, when you work on this many brands, you start to see patterns in, in people and patterns in how they operate in their business. And there's a thing that we've termed here at Rival is what we call vanilla values. And vanilla values are, you know, values we as a society share as, you know, these are good things, right? So if you say to a business owner, um, why, is your, why is your company great? What they would usually say is, well, we have a quality product and service. Uh, we're trustworthy and honest. We do it with integrity. We want to empower our customers with innovation uh, so they can feel um, that we care about them because we're, we're a caring company. And these aren't bad things. The problem is it's just everyone says the same stuff. So if you're out there yep. in the marketplace and you have a company and I say to you, what makes you special? And you say, I'm caring, I'm trustworthy, I'm honest, I'm integral, we care about innovation, yada, yada. Well, if I go talk to your competitor and I ask them what makes you special and they say the exact same thing, well, is it really special? So it's not that it's bad. Um, it's just, it's standard. It's it's expected. It's common. And what we try to do with a, with a client is we, we try to make them uncommon. We try to make them rare and different, you know, and, and a famous example of this, maybe not in today's society, but if you go back to 1986, when Apple was competing with Microsoft, IBM, HP, Dell, you know, all those companies, if you asked every single company like, hey, Apple, Dell, HP, Microsoft, um, what, what makes your company special? They would say, 
we have innovative products that help um, business clients excel and become empowered by our technology and so on. They were all kind of communicating the same thing. And they were predominantly speaking about their features and benefits. However, Steve Jobs comes along as a very contrarian visionary. And you ask Steve Jobs, hey, Steve Jobs, what makes Apple special? And he goes, well, we don't make computers for companies. We make computers for creative people. And then when he was mocked, like, Steve, nobody wants a computer in their home. He said, well, sure they do. Uh, because a computer is a bicycle for their mind. See what I mean? See how different that is? It, it, instead of talking about trust and integrity, Steve was all about creativity, um, being contrarian, being different, being unique, challenging what's normal and, and standing against it. Um, whereas if you look at the market now, Samsung, Huawei, um, Google, they all kind of play off Apple's strategy because now it's common, but in the 80s, it wasn't. Um, the reason Apple can supersede that is because they've been in our minds as that contrarian option for decades. So they, they own that idea and anyone that copies them is just seen as a copycat. And if you look up marketing, this is known as the first market movers advantage. Another example is McDonald's is the family-friendly restaurant with the playgrounds. Uh, Burger King tried to do the same thing, didn't work. People were like, that's McDonald's, you're just copying. So then they had to adopt a different strategy and that new strategy that Burger King now uses, the burgers are better. They, they play on the fact that their X factor, their special quality is, is how good the burgers are. So I think back to your podcast and to your question, like some of the things you said is, you know, I have good guests, I have great conversations, awesome. It's pretty commonplace in the realm of podcasts that <laughs> yeah. happen. Not to make fun of you, but it's just it's just that's common, you know. Um, mm. What's uncommon is well, how are you different with your approach? And um, I'm about to launch a podcast, and uh, we spent time in a room. We sat down and we said, "How are we going to make a podcast that's actually different?" And um, we're going to have guests on, but we're taking a different approach. It's more of a commentary. Uh, show about what's happening in the world of branding. So it's more of a show than it is about a podcast. And we'll have a guest on the couch, but we're not interviewing the guest. We're talking about, hey, did you see what happens with the latest rebrands from Toblerone? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about their packaging, why they're doing it. So we're going to commentate on the topic of branding um, with a really robust, you know, kind of like funny, humorous, anecdotal kind of show with games included. We're going to play different games throughout the show as well. So we're just trying to play with something that's that's unique. So I think for you, you know, you can still keep the same format. You don't have to do a new format, but it's like what makes you a unique host, right? So Joe Rogan is very... Um, out there. Very, <laughs> yeah, he's very out there. He talks about doing drugs. He talks about... Um, he talks about a lot of provocative topics and he gets very very um unique and deep conversation from a wide caliber of types of people um i think the common podcast is you know uh interviewing someone about their story not that it's a bad thing because i know plenty of people that do this what you do and um are very successful and, and have an incredible business for it but i think 
it's really about going, how do I do something that hasn't been done before? How do I actually be different? And um, yeah, I've, I've, I'd say with a podcast, it really comes down to you as a character, you as an individual, um, you sharing your story, you, you bringing out the, the most unique qualities of yourself and entwining that into your, to your interviews, if that makes sense. So you gotta, you gotta look at what's common and just ask yourself what's uncommon and you might not nail it the first go, but explore it and, and be okay with it being maybe messy or not making sense or, um, yeah, creativity is all about just exploring something that maybe hasn't been traversed before and doing it in a way that's not necessarily been done and taking inspiration from multiple places. So my podcast, I'm inspired by, you know, the, the, the conversations that Chris Doe has on his podcast. And I'm inspired by, uh, Andrew Schultz and his comedic, um, hangout crack and jokes approach to a podcast. And I find Logan Paul's podcast interesting because he's very like straight shooting with his questions. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. And I love how he has a camera that like pans across people and zooms in awkwardly. And, you know, I, I just, I've looked at all my favorite parts of all the podcasts I listen to, and I've just taken pieces from all of them and asked myself, like, what do I want to do with it? How do I want to express myself uniquely in a way that is a hundred percent me? Cause I'm dude, I'm cheesy. I'm goofy. I'm weird. Uh, I'm awkward. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with all things branding. And, you know, if someone likes that great. And if they don't, then, then I'm not fussed about it, you know? So I think, the best way to approach a podcast potentially is just really express yourself in the most hardcore version of yourself possible. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy. So how do you know which ones are worth your hard earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and level up. Because I used to always put out... Uh a part of it that said, I think it's still my about page of how I couldn't find a podcast that actually gave actionable tips. You know, they always just came with the, I'm the guru, you're the, you're coming to me to be told what to do. And I was like, I just want to be a normal guy that finds how to do this part of my life, how to fix that part, how to do that. And I used to always market it as I'm an average guy just looking to find how to improve each aspect of your life. And I kind of moved away from that. And I used to have fantastic conversations and people come away and say, oh, you're really good at this. And people seem to really resonate with it. And then as soon as I tried, I could never figure out how to improve it. And I never knew how, how to do it. But it's like you're saying, every podcast has the same vanilla virtues. It's the, oh, we, we do this. Or every brand has the same kind of concept. You're like, well, yeah, I'd expect you to care what we do and be exemplary and go out your way to provide service to us that's why we should you know we're going to buy from you compared to others because i i something i really struggle with because 
I like speaking to people and finding out about their stories and the twists and turns and that, but I also don't know how to be cool and hip and fun. And I think that's where I was struggling was I stopped listening to other podcasts while I was doing this. And now that I've started listening back to Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, to, you know, like so many of the great guests I've had on. Now when I look at them, I'm going, ah, I could, I like that style. I like that. I like that. How do we then start demystifying it? You know, how do we look at, they always say that you write out an avatar of who your listener is going to be. How on earth do you work out who that is if you don't really know who you are? Because I tried that, got down to they're college educated, they maybe want to change aspects of their life. I also thought it was just so superficial, the level I was at. How do you get your branding into a focus of a person or a type of person? You know, how do you assign characteristics to this avatar and actually find something that you can really connect with the target audience? You know, how are you going to do that for your new show? Yeah, great question. So, um, yeah, for our for our new show, it's it's designed for people that are genuinely interested and fascinated by marketing, advertising, branding, and they're 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 trying to apply it to their life. So it could be someone that works as a marketing uh, manager or a content creating uh, designer for a company. We're trying to make sure that the podcast is really centric around for people that that are trying to be creatives in, in their life, um, whether that's through copywriting, marketing strategy, or branding, and are obsessed with it. So, so we're, we're just going deep into nerd talk. Like we're not trying to keep it super um, surface level. Like we're going to geek, geek the fuck out on getting right into typography, color psychology. You know, we're going to dive into these topics that I haven't really seen on other podcasts. Because um, every other agent agency owner I've listened to, they, they keep it kind of surface level. They keep it kind of, you know, uh, open-ended and I'm not criticizing anyone, but it's, I've not yet found the podcast I want to listen to about my industry. So I was like, well, let's create it. Let's create the podcast we would want to listen to and, and have cool guests on and, and really geek out on, on um, design, copywriting, messaging content, and, and just go way deep on it for an hour and a half, two hours per session. So, I mean, that, that's what we're doing, but how do you find what that audience is for you? And, um, you know, it can be difficult. And this is why we do workshops and we spend hours for people to try to figure this stuff out because it's not an easy question to answer. Um, the first thing I would say is rather than worrying about your target audience, um, I would say first and foremost, like you got to unpack yourself. Like, what are you, what are you like? Not, not about what you do, but like, who are you? Like, what kind of person are you? Are you funny? Are you serious? Are you deep? Are you poetic? Are you clever? Are you witty? Are you snipey? Are you provocative? Like, what kind of, what kind of character are you? And, you know, you could do these online tests, uh, like the Briggs-Myers test and try to figure out what kind of person you are. There's plenty of those out there. Um, but what we do is we sit down in a, in a room with a client. We just, we go through different exercises. So, you could ask someone, what kind of person are you? And they, they might not be able to answer that question. So then we would switch to another question and say like, well, what are you not? And they would say, well, I'm not, uh, I'm not arrogant. You're like, cool. What else? Well, I'm not, um, I'm not silly. And I'm not this, I'm not that. And you get them to create a list of what they're not. And then one by one, you go back through the, well, if you're not silly, what are you? And they would say, well, I, I like to be funny. Like, okay, well, you're funny then. Yeah, I guess I am. 
And we create this list of traits, characteristics. Um, we do the same thing with a company. So if you have a company, it's like, well, what kind of company are you? I don't know. Well, what company are you not? And then they just start ripping on their competitors. Well, we're not this and we're not that and we're not selfish and we're not um, just treating clients like a like another uh, another number in the queue. And um, we, we oftentimes create a list of what they're not. And then we go, well, well, if you're not treating customers like crap, what are you doing? Oh, we're trying to, you know, make a customer feel delighted. And they're like, okay, cool, what else? So we unpack this stuff first and we try to identify like what kind of person you are. Um, then we can ask questions like, for example, if you have a company like your podcast and you were to say, uh, if my podcast was a car, what kind of car would it be? Would it be a Lamborghini? Would it be a, a Volkswagen? Would it be a combi van? Would it be a Tesla? Would it be uh, a Mustang? Like what kind of car would it be? And it's a weird question, but people say, oh, well, I think I would be this. And you're like, okay, great. Why? So in my case, people were like, you know, Dane, what if rival your agency was a car, what would it be? And I said, it'd be a monster truck. And they said, well, why? And I said, because it's loud. It's silly. Um, it's entertaining. It's... Uh, it's crazy. It's kind of cheesy and silly, and it's a little cocky and it's a little a little leery. It's like, okay, great. Well, then there's some traits. So you you go through these exercises in our workshops, and we try to figure out, well, what the hell, wh- what are you? And then once we kind of got some of that stuff, we can start thinking about like, well, why do we do what we do? And you know, if you as an entrepreneur are starting a company to solve a financial problem, um, it's it's the equivalent of having a child or children and and having some kids and, and uh, hoping that you get more free time. It doesn't make sense. Like if you start a company, you're creating financial problems. You're not necessarily solving them. Your, your financial problems are going to get 10 times harder when you run a company, hire employees and so on. Um, the second type of entrepreneur says, well, I saw a problem, drove me nuts, and I felt like it was my right to change it. So for me, I started Rival, my my branding agency, because my fiance worked at another agency. And um, I sat in the end of the room one day, watched them pitching a logo to a client that looked terrible. And I thought to myself, well, I could design a better logo than that. And the color palette didn't make sense. And the fonts were a bit silly. And I kind of had this epiphany. I was like, well, this is terrible. No wonder the client's unhappy. And then I watched them argue back and forth for 40 minutes as to, why the agency thought it was great and why the client felt it wasn't. And um, yeah, knowing human psychology, I just thought to myself, well, I could have handled that better. I could have designed that better. You know, maybe I should start an agency. And um, that that's what led me down this path. So I hope that answers your question. I hope I hope it makes sense. You gotta you gotta first figure out what the hell you are and why you're doing it. So for me, the reason I started my company is because I wanted to solve the problem better than how I saw someone else try to solve it. Then lastly, why should the customer care? Which is the best question you could ask yourself. Well, okay, I have an agency. Um, I'm this unique character that's different from my competitors. Because if you look at my, my competitors, they're all polished and refined and sophisticated and clever. And I'm like, well, we're not that. So let's be this other thing. Let's be bold and crazy and sarcastic and cheesy, right? Um, So once you kind of flesh this stuff out and you ask the question, why should the customer care? Well, for me, it was like, well, they should care because we're more creative and 
we don't use vanilla values and we're willing to have the, the harsh conversations up front with the client to help them get away from being common. And we educate them on how to be uncommon. And then we take them on a journey on how to do that. Um, so you unpack like why the customer would care that your option exists when they could go elsewhere. Then you ask yourself, well, what type of customer would connect most with that message? So for me, it's, it's visionaries. It's people that have a bee in their bonnet to, to do something, not to make money, but they're passionate about their company. They're passionate about their product or service. And um, you got to ask yourself, well, what kind of people are visionaries and passionate about their products and services? Well, they're naturally rebellious by nature. They're naturally contrarian to society. So let's build a brand that speaks to that part of them. Uh, rather than being polished and sophisticated and academic, let's be rebellious, wild, and and um, a bit creative. And then that that type of messaging might connect better with the entrepreneurial character. So they're kind of like beads on a string. You start stringing these different exercises together and then that's what builds a brand strategy. And we have hundreds of these exercises that we do and it takes, you know, sometimes up to 16 hours to, to develop one of these for a company. But you string these beads together until you get enough of them to, to say to yourself, well, I could kind of see how this would transform into a logo. I could see how this would transform into content. I, I could imagine a color palette, a font that would match this tone. Um, so the more information you get as, as a graphic designer or as a copywriter, the more you're like, oh, okay, I can work with that. I could build a funny, sarcastic, cheesy uh, email, or I could create a color palette that feels like that. Um, so this is really what branding is. It's it's taking all these pieces from all of these exercises, stringing them together until you can start seeing a, a picture take shape and then deploy that into design and, and communication and then roll it out into the market. You are good because while you were saying that, I was visualizing my sight in my head, thinking of the language, thinking that's not how I would say that. That's not the look I would really go with if I was to pick. You know, and it's like, oh, I need to work on that and that. And just listening to going to generally about it made me think, whoa, I could change that. I could do that. I could move that. And I mean, I do. I love that about your website. I looked at some of your competitor sites compared to yours. Yours was fun. It was hip. The, you know, you go into the about page and you've got the silly graphics over people's faces and you think, you know, it, it shows you engage with your team and the colors sort of hip and it's it's striking and it's fun and it's just, as well as all the great content, you know, it's just a cool site to be, to be honest, thinking this is the sort of thing I should be doing, like rather than just, Oh, I'm gonna put get pay a guy in five or five pound to create a better logo. Oh, I'm gonna stick that into my YouTube and hope for the best, you know. And it's like I know I should be making snippet videos. I know I should be doing like reels and all these sorts of things. But how do you get over somebody who thinks? But I've got some fans just now. I don't want to make a change. I'm I'm terrified of losing my current base because Pat Flynn has you know the super fans. Um, I can't remember who I read it from originally, but there was like the first thousand true fans. You know, get your first thousand mm -hmm. fans because they build your community and get people to engage, interact, promote, etc. How do we overcome that fear of losing what we currently have to gain what we could potentially have? Mm. Yeah, great question, dude. I think, like in our case, I'll speak to myself from my agency's perspective. I could share case studies if need be, but um, 
you know, early days, we, we had a lot of those inquiries. People would, you know, book me in prior, prior to branding it as Rival. I, I named the company Victory Front. It looked very different. I, I tried to go academic and I tried to go like different with the visuals, but it still sounded like the competitors. And I realized very quickly that the leads we were getting in were people that were like, do you think I should do branding? I'm not sure if it's the right maneuver, this and that, right? Once we changed it to Rival, what happened was those people looked at our website and said, that's that's too crazy for me. That looks risky. That looks unsafe. Not interested. And then they would go to our competitors, which is fine. Um, but the people that would click on the book now were like, man, your page was so exciting. It moved me. It made me laugh. It just seemed so wild and clever and, and insane. Um, I had to know more. You see what I mean? Like it, it's almost like likes attract likes, right? Um, yeah. You know, metalheads like to hang out with metalheads and Taylor Swift fans like to hang out with Taylor Swift fans. So we were just speaking to the visionary character. And if you think about someone who's rebellious by nature, uh, wants to be an entrepreneur, wants to challenge their family's you know, legacy and do something different and yada, yada. Like if they, if they have that bone in their body, that's like, I want to prove myself and be something more or, sh- you know, show people what I'm made of. If they have that kind of energy, um, what, what happens is we, we are super attractive to them. But if they, that type of character goes to a very academic, clean cut website, it just doesn't resonate with them the same way because they don't feel about themselves as an academic character. So it's by design. I said to my team, I want the wild, creative, visionary type characters to be attracted to our branding. So we engineered it to be, um, you know, attractive to that type of audience. So I think back to your point about your website, it's branding is self-expression. It's it's really about what makes you special, what makes you you. You, you can look around your industry and go, all right, all right, what are the common things that all the other podcasts do? And you could write them down. Like what are the things other podcasts do that I don't like and what are the things that I've never seen in a podcast before and let's just explore that we don't have to do them but let's just ideate and explore and play with ideas and we spent like three weeks ideating what our podcast might be we didn't get it on the first go and it wasn't until we sat down and we really started to go well what do we want to do what do we want to listen to what would we enjoy and then we were like man it'd be kind of fun if it was like a bunch of people on a couch commentating on branding because that's what we do all day anyway. And we love this stuff. So why don't we just do what we do and do what we love and share it? And then that boom became our idea. So yeah, man, I think, you know, if you're thinking about your, your visual identity or your communication points on your website, it should be a realistic expression of you. And it's difficult to find someone on Fiverr that can understand that. It's difficult to find someone for five, 10, even even two thousand dollars that could really land that, and it, it's like going to a PT who's never had a client uh, and who's desperate to get their first sale, or going to you know Dwayne the Rock Johnson's PT and asking them for advice. You, you get what you you get you get out what you put in. If you mm-hmm. if you put in an investment and and you find the right fit for you and whatever your company's doing, then then you'll probably get a much better outcome. So how then do we take, you know, the changes, the beads that are like forming into, you know, attracting like for like, et cetera, because it seems like to the untrained eye, every, every idea has been done. Every kind of potential change has been done by a current brand. 
I mean, I, I like the story you talked about when you were a casual fan of the F1, yeah, Formula One, until yeah. you saw a behind the series documentary and it got you so engaged and pumped into it. And now, you know, you never miss a race. How do we create content then that draws people in, gives them value, wants them to come back? Because I find I get some fans who come for the guest, some stay around, some will stay for all guests. But that's the ones I want to tackle. I want to get people to come in and enjoy the community. Like Pat Flynn is amazing at Smart Passive Income for bringing people in to listen to him and enjoy the interviews. Whereas I feel sometimes I get people to come to listen to the interview and sometimes they say, sometimes they don't. How do we create that brand? I mean, you have a great thing about liquid um, death water. You know, you talked about how Nike did it differently. And they made a mistake by trying to do casual shoes rather than marketing towards the excellence that promote, you know, that got their high quality brand vision. How do we start doing this? You know, are we looking at like Instagram reels? Are we going in and completely changing our way and throwing as many different things at the wall? Or do we have to have this everything written out before we start tackling this in our content? How would you start disrupting the market? especially when it's busy and we've got to remain authentic and not just attention for the sake of being offensive, but how do we create content that draws people to us? I know it's a yeah, big question. Is, yeah, a bunch of questions. Um, that's cool, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. And if I miss any, just, just repeat them. Um, yeah, I would say like, you know, back to the back to the target audience, right? So, you know, in my situation, I was saying, look, I, I want the visionaries. I want the rebels. I want the the weirdos to, to book me in. I want the psychopaths that want to go big and do something daring. Like our, our, our brand in a way is pre-screening people that would look at our website and go, they're not a fit for me. So you have to be willing to turn off a percentage of your audience in order to double down on what you really love. So for me, I really love rebels, right? So I say to my team, look, I'm not interested in talking to people that are playing it safe. If they're trying to play it safe, I would just say, look, go to the next agency. We're not for you. We're, we're, we're going to come up with some crazy shit that's going to terrify you and you're not going to feel confident rolling it out, right? So for me, it's it's like, all right, well, in your case, like you said, you have multiple target audiences that come to you for multiple different reasons. What I would suggest in that case is we'll sit down and write out all the different audiences, you know? All right, I've got the Todds who are 26 and just want to listen to the guest and and uh, take some actionable tips and go action them. Great. All right. Well, what other types of audiences do you have? Well, I've got the other person, you know, the the Nathans that are fans of me and and love how I ask questions and and yada yada and so on. So you can have as many target audiences as you want, but my suggestion is identify your primary audience. You know, you can have 20, 50, 100 if you want. It's up to you to do that, right? Um, but you want to list them out and ask yourself, why, what kind of person are they? Are they are they rebellious people? Are they curious people? Are they creative people? Like everyone's everything, but like what kind of person are they, right? So you mentioned liquid death. You know, they're not trying to speak to mom and dad. They're not trying to speak to, uh, you know, the sweet ladies and and the innocent people and, and those that, you know, are kind of taking it easy through life. Liquid Death is trying to speak to the gnarly people, the metalheads, the skateboarders, the people that, you know, identify themselves with these traits. So what I would do is I would list out all your target audiences and eliminate them. Which ones are the least exciting audiences for you? 
and be comfortable saying, okay, well, you know, maybe these two or these three are the, the audience I'm most excited to engage with. Great. Now that you have that, now that you know what you're all about, right? So let's imagine you've listed out what you, what kind of person you are and what kind of person you're not. You've listed out what you're passionate about and what you don't care about. Then you've looked at your primary, primary audience. Now you want to think to yourself, like, how do I bridge these two together, right? So this primary audience that I really want to connect with, what, what parts of my content are their favorite? And at the same time, what parts of what I do is my favorite? And where is the common ground? And that's where you would potentially identify a niche or your, your thing or your field of expertise or your gimmick or whatever that might be. And then you just go all out on that because being a personal brand is complete self-expression. Um, not trying to accept others' validation of what you should be, but inventing yourself in the way you want to be, right? So I've had plenty of people judge me, criticize me, tell me I'm this, tell me I'm that, tell me I don't have an academic background, yada, yada. I'm like, dude, I'm not here to talk to academics. I'm here to talk to the kid who's, you know, 27 and is launching his own company for the first time and wants to take big risks. I'm talking to that guy. He's not listening to academic content. You know what I mean? So you, you got to connect the dots. Like who's my audience? Who am I? And where, where do I overlap? So if you had like a Venn diagram, like two circles on a page, you know, what am I all about? What are they all about? And where do we overlap? And in that overlap, you want to ask yourself like, what can I do? So with my podcast, I'm like, well, I want to speak to not the visionary entrepreneurs, they're probably not going to listen to my podcast unless they're hyper interested in branding and marketing. The podcast is for a different audience. It's for those that want to do what I do. It's for those that are studying in university, graphic designers, copywriters, content creators. It's for a different crowd. So with the pod, it's, it's, it's about for me, if I'm creating an audience for that, where do we overlap? Well, we love geeking out on colors and fonts and design and packaging and websites and communication and content creation. That's what we both love. That's where we overlap. Then let's build the podcast around that and see, see if that lands. And if it doesn't, you know, am I passionate enough to do it regardless of what engagement it gets? And for me, I'm way more excited about creating the podcast than I am about like getting a result from it. Um, so for me, it's like, I'm solving a problem. I'm creating a podcast I'd like to listen to and that I would find enjoyable. And if I find something interesting, I know there's people out there that will also find it interesting. So let's let's bridge that gap and give it a crack and see what happens. Um, and if it takes off, great. And if it doesn't, I'm probably going to do it for a long time because I, I think it's cool. Um, I hope that answers your question. Because that's another part of my about page. I'm just thinking just now. I remember writing, I couldn't find a podcast that like I wanted or needed at the time. So I created my own. And I think, why, why have I not made that more of a part of like my philosophy my virtues etc you have a you have a absolutely wonderful way of just bringing the client to create you know to find the idea to find the solutions in their head by just giving them the prompts and you have a unique skill for it but how do we start making these changes then you know how do we like what metrics do you identify to the gauge you know how do we check in after we've made these um, implementations of changes etc how do we know then what's working what's not when to make a change you know because 
society seems to change every day about what's acceptable, what's not. You know, plastic usage, what people are kicking off about, the like the currently with the bad light, the pride logos, all these sort of things. You never seem to know exactly what society is going to deem acceptable and not, etc. How do we plan this for you know fifty two weeks worth of content? Because doing one week's and is suitable. Producing a whole story, a whole kind of rollout of fifty two weeks of content where things yeah. seem to change every five minutes. How do you measure this and know when to change, when to roll back? Or do we just stick to your identity and you'll attract the people who like for like sort of thing? Yeah, this this is where the dance comes in, right? Because um, you've, you've got to start dancing uh, and invite your customer to the dance floor, right? Like, I'm out here break dancing. Do you like it? And they're like, I don't like break dancing. I don't resonate with that. Not interested. Cool. I enjoy it. I'm going to keep break dancing. Eventually, people will uh, start to witness, like, oh, okay, this dude's break dancing. I might go join him, right? So it's this dance between you and a client. You've got to dance the way that your audience like to dance, if that makes sense. So that's a weird analogy. Just came <laughs> up with it. I hope it makes sense. Um, and to your point, like, how do you make sure it's working? How do you how do you identify what's what's good and what's not. So at the end of the day, I think just dance the way you want to dance, right? And um, what what happens is um, that's the core of what your brand is. The core is like, what do we believe in? Why are we doing it? Why should people care? And once you know the core and it's like, what do I believe in? What feeling do I want to give to people? Um, how do I want to talk to them? Do I want to be serious or caring or loving or rebellious? Like, What's the voice, right? So this is what I call brand DNA. Brand DNA is five things. What do I believe in? I believe in uh, what I call soul crafting. So for me, Rival, we believe in soul crafting. What does that mean? Well, we don't just design stuff. We we get to know the soul of the CEO, the founder, and what they're all about. Then we go, okay, well, now we know what you're all about, your soul. Um what, what's the culture of your company? If you had to hire 10 people, what kind of people are you going to hire? Are you going to hire academics? Are you going to hire mavericks? Are you going to hire uh, nurturing kind people? Are you going to hire badass, you know, go get them people? Like what, what's the culture of your company? Because what is a company? It's just a group of people. That's about it. When you get a group of 10, 20 people together, there's a culture that forms. It happens organically. I'm sure you've spent time with friends in, the, in their group. It's funny. Or you go to another group, it's serious. Or you go to another group, it's creative. So groups uh, share common interests. Then you start to think to yourself, okay, well, what what kind of person would resonate with that group? Oh, well, I'm a break dancer. I want to attract other break dancers. I'm Nike. I'm an athlete. I want to attract other athletes, right? Then how do you vocalize it? So in Nike's case, it's about confidence, power, resilience, and the feeling is, well, Nike's feeling is confidence. The feeling I want to give to customers is um, I want their jaw to hit the floor and I want them to be exhilarated and kind of punch drunk with the outcome we got, right? So once we know what we believe in, what our culture is, who our tribe is that we're trying to speak to, the voice we need to speak to them with and the feeling we want to create in their minds, that's when we have the core of our brand fleshed out. Um the core should never change because that's that's who you are. That's your set of values. That's what you believe in. That's never going to change. What will change is your strategy, your tactics, your campaign, 
Uh, and what we suggest our clients do is if you're going to roll out a brand, um, you know, try it out for 90 days. Like go all out with a campaign for 90 days based on something you want to test. Then look back at 90 days worth of data, not a day's worth, right? So if you post every day for 90 days, what happens when you go back and you review? Wow, these five posts did really well. Why? What happened? What comments were there? Why did people share it? What were the common themes of these five posts? Well, each post was about uh, a global topic. Cool. Trending topics, for example. Um, One was about Netflix. One was about Elon Musk. One was about whatever, right? Then you go, well, how do I do more of that? Then when you set yourself up for the next 90 days, you recalibrate, you re-engineer your campaign, you go for it again. Then you look back on it and go, what happened in that 90 days? Well, we grew by 400% in our engagement. Well, great. We found, we found, a, th- we found a theme or we found a groove. Um, you know, whether you're a musician trying to play with different music or you're a, a, a psychologist trying different techniques with patients or, you know, you're a, um, a consultant trying different methods with your client. You got to test things. You got to be willing to experiment and and see it through, and then look at the data because the core of your brand won't change, but the way you approach the market will change. The, the topics you talk about in your content will change. Um, th- this is this is what we teach our clients, and this is what we actively do on my personal brand social media page, as as well as our company page and all of our clients' pages. Oh, I'm itching to get going. It's like you, you don't understand how much you've kind of helped me. It just like I feel like it's been 10 minutes and I've looked at the time. It's like, whoa, sorry. I know we're close to our time limit, but <laughs> it's, I think we're just touching the surface. I mean, I'd love to start making changes and then have you back on and really go into yeah, depth man. because I think it's just phenomenal the way you do it. And I realized like how out of touch I've become. You know, I've just been pumping out content without actually thinking how it's packaged, without thinking how I was shaping or how I was getting in front. I thought, oh, I needed to do hashtags. Never knew I had to do that. Oh, I have to get a decent logo. I paid the guy in Fiverr. You know, it's like, it's all the little things rather than the secret sauce by adding all the ingredients together. So what would you want people to take from this interview? I mean, I know I've still got pages worth of questions and there's products, there's mentality, there's like, what to do with the data, creating like a customer retention and a customer feedback system and all these sorts of communication system and all these sorts of things. But what would you want people to remember from this? Like somebody coming into this, who's got a new brand, doesn't know shit about branding, as you can tell, like I don't, what would you want them to remember from this interview or see them do in the next six months? Yeah. Great question, man. And to your point there about like, you know, hashtags and this method and that method. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time on like, what's the latest trend? Uh, what's the latest tactic? What, what can I do to trick the algorithm? How can I get people to, to follow me? And I think what happens is if we have this approach to social media, and again, I'm not trying to pick on you, but just maybe highlight something here. And, and it's the fact that like, if you have to trick or, or, or use a tactic like this to get someone to follow you, um, once they follow you, where's the substance, right? So it's almost like yeah. the focus is in the wrong place. 
what I would do is, and my advice to anyone that, that is going to action any of this is move your focus to, well, what is this all about? Like if you, if you think about what value can I give, how can I actually provide something that people will find interesting and evocative and emotionally gripping so that you leave in an emotional residue with them. So rather than thinking about what tactics going to get them in the door, think about what can I leave them with? How do I give an impression or leave an imprint in their mind as to like, wow, I never heard it said like that before. I never seen anyone produce that before. Like what can you do that's interesting, unique, gripping, uh, attention grabbing and, and, and full of substance? Because if you put all your energy into that, the, the hashtags, the captions, the tactics kind of becomes irrelevant. I would say anyone trying to grow a social media following, it's all about value. Being the best comedian at making skits or being the most helpful PT with uh, quick actionable exercises or um, giving the best possible tips about a specific topic. You know, if the energy goes into that, what happens is, you start to pay less attention to these little tactics because if someone follows you for a tactic, they might not engage. But if they follow you because they're like, wow, this person's valuable. They struck a chord with me. I, I found this incredibly helpful. I want this again. If they follow you for that reason, they're going to engage with your next post. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna search your name on social media to see what you've posted recently rather than just showing up on their algorithm. And, you know, that stuff's important. It's going to help you, but it's not the focus of your strategy. The focus of your strategy is like, what am I doing? Where am I bringing the punch to the market? How am I standing out, being memorable, being interesting, uh, and, and really trying to capture people's emotions? It's really about effective communication, capturing people's emotions, and um, bringing nonstop value to, to social media. Because... People don't follow you for, for hashtags. They follow you because they find you interesting. So how do you be the most interesting self-expressed version of yourself possible? And how do I show up and do that as consistently as possible? Um, that's probably the best advice I could give to anyone trying to trying to grow their business on social media. That I mean, that alone would it'd help so many people listen to this because I think that's the thing. It's like, how do you make a dent when everybody seems to be doing the same, you know, and everybody seems better quality, like how they're promoting stuff. And I used to always bug me when I go on and find terrible interviews, but they had like hundreds of thousands of fans. I'd be like, what, what am I doing wrong? And I realized now that I was doing what, you know, people who go to the gym doing wrong. They're worried about macros and intermediate fasting when they need to be walking, just eating a wee bit better, you know, having a salad instead of a pizza, you know, just the slow this the, the gradual changes but tackling the big things rather than the little tactics that matter when you're really dialed in you know you're like just getting the basics done and i realize how i'm focusing on the wrong things i i cannot thank you enough for today it's been an absolute joy to have you i'd love to have you i want to start making the changes so i can ask for deeper more organized questions and hopefully i'm not choked behavior but how can we follow you? How can we interact with you? How can we work with you? How can we find you on social media? Because your Instagram alone, I know people that pay thousands for that, the, the content, the quality that's there, and you're giving away all these great tips and advice for free. 
But how can we follow along on this journey, this evolution you're going on? Yeah, most of my stuff is uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, and, and soon the podcast will be on on uh, YouTube. Um, but if you go to my personal page on Instagram, Dane Walker, uh, D-A-I-N Walker, and um, just follow me there and, and you'll get plenty of stuff from, from me for free. Uh, in the near future, I, I do have a book about what we talked about today on the way, unpacking a, a load more about what we talked about. Um, and uh, it's kind of the Bible, if you will, of how to build a personal brand specifically. Um, on top of that, I'm launching a, a boot camp uh, where people can come and work with me and one of my dearest friends, Matt Purcell, uh, for two or three days. We're, we're still engineering it. Um, that'll be launching at the first end of the first week of next month. Um, so anyone that's trying to build a personal brand, um, we're, we're developing a program where you can actually come and be in person with me for a couple of days to figure that out. Um, but yeah, man, so there's a bunch of stuff, but just follow me on social media. You'll get updates on all this stuff. And um, yeah, I, I think if if you're not in a position to invest, uh, that's cool too. You can just follow along and, and uh, get tons of free content from me on Instagram. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.